Welcome to CooperCast, the Song Factory episode. This is your host, Al's web machine, John Sachs. In this episode, Al talks about how Dick Clark had to sell his music publishing businesses and how Al went to work for the people that bought them. What happened was Dick Clark owned a lot of businesses, and some of them were music publishing. And this is like a no-no because because he became like a, probably the top disc jockey and he had a television show. He played a lot of the songs he published right. and made them into big hits because of the, the power of uh, uh, the size of his audience. Right. So he had to sell all those companies. So this songwriter who was more Dick Clark's age bought his companies Okay. And um, one was called January Music, and then there was a, a one called SEA-LARK, Sealark, right. which was the company that I ended up writing for. Okay. So I wrote up there, and there was another guy named Wally Gold, who was his assistant, Aaron Schroeder's assistant. And, um, and we knew each other for a long time, and we both got jobs, although, you know, he was older than me, but we both got jobs up at uh, Columbia Records. Later on. Yeah, he was a producer. Right. And then I became a producer, uh, a staff producer for Columbia. So his office was just <laughs> down the uh, hall from me. Right. And we just, you know, always remained friends. When... Dick Clark sold off his music publishing companies. Was it was that to Aaron Schroeder? Yes, Aaron Schroeder wrote uh, a, a few uh, Elvis hits. Okay, made a lot of money. Wow. Bought bought the uh, companies from Dick Clark, and then set up a big office at sixteen fifty, and then later moved out of sixteen fifty to a, another building a few blocks away. And then he had a lot more space. And by that time, I was writing with two other guys. We were a team. Working for him. Yes. Working for Schroeder, yeah. Yeah, but, but, but I, I, before I worked for Schroeder, I worked for this other company mm. called We Three Music, mm. uh, also at 1650. Mm. And, uh, and they signed me, and they had these two guys who just wrote lyrics, and they thought it would be a great thing to team me up with them. And they just, like I said, they just wrote lyrics of Bob Brass and Erwin Levine. Mm -hmm. For a change, uh, I wasn't with Italians. <laughs> I was with my fellow Jews. Mm. So th they were like three or four years older than me, and, and they lived in Jersey. Now, how old were you at that time? Probably 16, 17. So you're still going there. Is this after school or instead of going to college? No, then I, I mean, I went to college, but I went out of town. Right. I went to the University of Bridgeport, Connecticut. For a while. A year and a half. <laughs> right. So when you were going to work... I majored in music, though. Yes. But it's interesting to me that the kind of either transition or branching out you made f 
from being a guy who plays on stage to also being a guy who sits in a studio and writes songs at 1650. That's like, uh, what were the names of your two co-writers? Bob Brass and Erwin Levine. Brass and Levine, they never played in bands, right? They were songwriters. That's right. And somehow, so you bridged that gap from being a stage performer to well, also well, being... Well, I mean, they, they didn't play any instruments or anything. Right. So, uh, and yet they had, you know, like a big hit record by the Shirelles. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, so uh, they had a little magic and... Uh, and I was trying to yeah. have some of that rub off on me. And eventually it did. So we would we would write songs, and the guy who ran the company was named uh, uh, Hal Webman. And he and his wife were there, Hal and Bill Webman. And then another guy, I think, who originally owned the company, Larry Spear Jr., mm. S-P-I-E-R. So there were just the three of them. In, in the offices there. Uh, Larry Spear had an office. Bill and Hal had an office. And then there was a room with a piano in it, and that's where we lived. And we just we just wrote all day. And, and they're on the phones trying to sell songs. and Yeah, I'm trying to think where I was when we wrote this Diamond Ring. Whether it was Schroeder or uh, it probably was Schroeder. Okay, because you met Leo Rogers. Mm-hmm. Because of playing the Royal Teens, you got connected to sixteen fifty, and then you sort of started hanging out there and got sort of pulled into the world of songwriting, which, like I say, it's a different thing. Than... Well, I was I was interested in songwriting. I wrote songs. Right, they were just terrible. <laughs> And and when they put me with Brass and Levine, who already had a, a a chart hit, it made more sense. And like I say, they were a couple of years older than me, and they came into work every day, and they were professional songwriters. And so that turned me into a professional songwriter. I think at that point you were also, you were doing all of those things. You were still going out on gigs at nights, weekend nights, and then going to school, and then also uh, hanging with these guys and writing songs. It's a very rich musical existence for a young guy. That was me. I was driving. Mm. This is what I wanted to do, it turned out, and all of a sudden, I could do it. Right. So, you know, I didn't I didn't have to go uh, work in a factory and then write songs and like that. I worked in a music factory. There you go. I th- the great thing was that I started so early. Right. This has been Coopercast, the Song Factory episode, brought to you by a big hit record. Look for more episodes coming up and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or just about any podcast distributor and tell your friends. <laughs>